Before we get started, let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us, Lord, to hear your word and understand it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us have ears to hear. Lord, I pray that you would filter out anything that you don't want me to say and only have your words come out, Lord. Lord, because the only thing that matters is your word. Lord, help us tremble at your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, um, the way the Lord often works in my life and in our family's life is in seasons. And oftentimes after a time of prayer or seeking the Lord, um, I'll have things that the Lord wants me to focus on for a season. And... um, what I'm going to share this morning is one of those things that the Lord has asked me and my family to focus on and um, just kind of as a filter for how I live my life in this next season. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 and verse number 38. Luke 10, 38. I've probably shared about this section of scripture before, um, but the Lord has just kind of been washing me with it, and um, I wanted just to share what he's been sharing with me. Luke 10:38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted by much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. Now, I want to stop there just a second. And how many of you dads and moms have heard this very conversation with your kids? My kids come and tell me this all the time. One is doing their jobs and, Dad, tell Nathaniel just to do his job. I'm, we, we, have a, we clean the garage. Our garage seems to get messy all the time. And so we have a list up on the wall of everybody has a part of something they have to do. And, and in, it's kind of sequential, and so unless somebody does their part, the next person can't do their part. And so we, we Saturday was a garage cleaning day, and so it was a multiple times of people coming, Daddy, tell so-and-so to do their job so I can do my job. And so this, at, at face value, this doesn't seem like that big a deal. You'd almost think that Jesus would just say to Mary, Hey, Mary, Go help your sister. But that's not what Jesus said. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part which will not be taken away from her. So I want to break that down. He answered her and said, 
He didn't say, Martha, the things you were doing were wrong. He didn't say, Martha, um, you're just a busybody. You're just busy doing things you don't need to worry about. No, he didn't say that. He went to her heart and he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. So her work, what she was doing, was coming from a place in her heart that was troubled and worried. How often do you or I do things because we're worried and troubled? I do a lot of things. I can tend to do a lot of things that way. I try to fix something. I... I am going through my finances and see that I, I'm not as ahead this month as I want to be. And so I, out of that place of worry or trouble, I begin to work harder and do this. And it's, all, it's great to work harder. With ten kids, I could always work harder. But what the Lord was, was telling Martha was don't do any of that out of having a worried and troubled heart. And then he goes on to say something that has been the the thing that the Lord has asked me to concentrate on, and that's this. But only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And so what we have here is a contrast between someone who was doing a lot and someone who was sitting around on the surface. And someone who was motivated by all of this worry and trouble and someone who made a choice. And because of her choice... She had chosen the right thing and the Bible says it will not be taken from her. At the end of my life, I don't want my, uh, the testimony of my life to be, yep, Josh did a lot. Josh raised a lot of kids, or did a lot of this, or did a lot of that. I want to make sure that at the end of my life, I, like you, have chosen that right thing. That good part. What that tells me is in any given moment, there's right choices and wrong choices that we can make. There's the good part. How many of you kids have studied fractions? My kids, when you study fractions, they always deal with pies. I don't know why they always think kids will like to talk about pieces of pie. Maybe that's because their daddies and mommies like talking about pieces of pies. But you, you know, you always see that shaded part and then all of the rest. You know what I'm talking about? There's like the one little sliver they say, this is what an eighth looks like. This is what a quarter looks like. This is what a half looks like. And then there's all the rest. 
What the Bible is saying here of Mary is she chose the quarter. She chose the eighth that was that right part and didn't worry about the rest. Do you know how hard that is for us as humans to do? For, I mean, before I was on a diet, I wanted the seven-eighths and leave the eighth behind. You know, I wanted, I mean, I wanted, I mean, my wife is a pretty good cook. And so, you know, I would take the big part and leave the little part. But what the Lord is telling us here is that there was a, there is in every decision that we make, there is that sliver of the very, very, very most important. And the key to living a successful Christian life and to having a life that at the end of it you realize was successful and you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, is in every decision choosing that most important part. You know, we used to live... um, in Lindale, or near Lindale, Texas, and uh, near and in that area, there's an area called Garden Valley. And in Garden Valley, almost, I mean, there are so many Christian ministries that are there. Um, David Wilkerson bought a large tract of land there, and over the years, his ministry sold pieces to different ministries. Keith Green's ministry, Leonard Ravenhill bought land there, YWAM has land there, uh, Mercy Ships has land there. It's like you've kind of gone into the Garden of Eden for Christian ministries. And, and in written into the deeds, my understanding is they can't sell it to anybody other than a ministry. So it's, it stayed that way for years and years and years. And... We, uh, before we moved here, we're going to church and a church in that area, and we're looking for land. And every Sunday afternoon, we'd go and we'd drive through Garden Valley and, and we'd look for land. And we finally found this beautiful piece of land, except the only problem was it backed up to a cemetery. And if you went to the back of the property... On the other side of the barbed wire fence, Leonard Ravenhill was buried. Literally, his, he's buried right there, and then right up the hill, Keith Green is buried. And I'll never forget standing in front of that man of God's tombstone. And you can look it up on the internet, but it, it asked a question, very similar to the question he asked almost every time he preached. He said, are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? And again, it talks about that little bit of a choice that we have to make. Are we going to choose all of this? Or are we going to choose that better portion? That That part that if we choose that in the exclusion of everything else, it will not be taken from us. You know, I, I thought about, speaking of Leonard Ravenhill, I've been reading 
a lot of him this week, so if there's a several of his quotes, that's the reason why. Leonard Ravenhill said, My goal is God Himself. Not joy, not peace, not blessing, but Himself, my God. In other words, again, He's filtering out all of this and saying, what I want is Jesus. That's, if I choose fellowship with Jesus, if I choose communing with Him and knowing Him above all of this other, that will never be taken away from me. I was thinking about other choices that are made evident in the Bible. Turn with me real quickly to Matthew 14, 22. I just want to do a wake-up check. John, are you still awake? Okay, good. He, he asked me, so, you know, he asked for it, so I'm happy to oblige. Matthew 14, 22. We'll read here about the story of Peter, or Jesus walking on the water. And they're out. The disciples are out on the sea. It becomes choppy and, wet and, and stormy. And they saw Jesus walking to them on the water. And then in verse 26 it says, And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And, he, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I think a lot of us, there are many times in my life the Lord has convicted me where I leave it there. I see it. The Lord's walking to me on the water. Praise the Lord. I saw a miracle. This is amazing. But Peter didn't leave it there. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And Peter, had, when Peter had come out on the water, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Again, we're talking today about choosing that better portion. The last time I preached, I preached about what the, the five things the Chinese church commits to one another. And one of those that has convicted me is that they commit to each other to expect the supernatural. They they. They don't just believe that it happens. They expect it. And given the context that they live in, the Lord works supernaturally for them often. He saves them and warns them and keeps them and preserves them in prison. God works for them. But I don't believe that God is different for them than He wants to be for us. And so one of the things the Lord has been encouraging me to do is praying before doing. Instead of me just going and doing something and fixing the problem, asking the Lord, get, gathering my children around and saying, let's pray. Let's ask God to work supernaturally and work a miracle in this situation. We did that early this week. 
I think it was actually Sunday afternoon. We were praying, and Nathaniel has had a real burden, um, a real burden to witness. And as I've confessed to you all, that is not something that I'm gifted at. It's something I'm trying to learn, but it's not something I'm gifted at. And so we were praying, Lord, bring people into our life that we can share you with. And so do it supernaturally. Do something that only you can do. And so Nathaniel and I went walking out behind Fairgrounds Park, just walking because I needed a walking partner and, and uh, he was the one that was awake. And so we went and he, I realized about halfway through our walk he hadn't had breakfast. And if you walk long enough on that path, you get to Sonic. And so I told him, if you can keep it up, we're going to walk over there and go to Sonic and we're going to get you something to eat. Unfortunately, I had already eaten, so I didn't get to have Sonic. But um, he got Sonic. So as we're about halfway there, we pass a homeless man. And I'd been praying, Lord, give us opportunities to share with people who need to know you. And all of a sudden, Nathaniel's antennas went up. We walked past, and this guy had his headphones on, and I mean, he had a tent and or this tarp, and a big bike, and a trailer, and all kinds of stuff. And so we're walking by, and we look at each other. And we say, let's get another burrito for him. So we pick up our pace, and we start walking faster. And we get to Sonic, and we don't even sit there to eat our burrito. We get back, and we turn back. And as we're, we're walking back down by the baseball diamonds, and we're hoping he's still there, and we begin to pray, Lord, make this burrito more than just a burrito. Make it answer this guy's prayer. And so we got back, and this guy was kind of in the bushes. And I'm on it. I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about homeless people. I didn't know if he had a gun or a knife, or and he had his earphones on. So he, and his big, you know, you know, CD player kind of looked like Reese in a fanny pack. I mean, it was big, big thing right here. And I didn't know how loud it was. I didn't want to startle him or scare him. So we just sat there with our burrito like this. You laugh. We just were doing what we knew to do. We held the burrito like this. He looked up and thankfully he wasn't too startled. And we introduced ourselves and said, we just wanted to give you a burrito. There's a, there's a, a coupon in there for a drink from Sonic. And the guy got all quiet. He said, you don't know how much this means to me. He said, my mom, I've been homeless for two years because I was taking care of my mom. And I've just got through having my toes amputated because of diabetes. But guess what? I just had really good news. I'm going to, uh, I just got a housing voucher. And I'm going to get a house. And I said, would it be okay if we prayed with you? He came all close and Nathaniel laid hands on him, and I laid hands on him, and we just prayed, and, and, we, and now me and Nathaniel every day have been praying for Adam. That's this guy, this homeless guy, and we now know that he doesn't typically hang out in the park. He's typically over by the, by the library, and so one of our goals this week is to go find him again and share with him some more. But that's what I mean. God can work for us supernaturally if we choose to allow Him to work that way. We could have just kept walking. 
And if I did hadn't had Nathaniel, I probably would have kept walking. But Nathaniel, every day this week, Daddy, can we go back to, can we go to, uh, go try to find Adam? Can we go try to find Adam? What am I going to say to that? Yeah, we're going to go try to find Adam again. But that's the kind of working God wants to do in our lives if we give Him the opportunity. If we say, God, make this burrito not just a burrito. Make it something more than that. Use this as a way to minister to this guy. And, I mean, I could identify with taking care of his mom. I just got through taking care of my dad who was dying. There was an instant connection there. And all of a sudden, he felt he was just, he kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm thinking, Lord, save this guy. Help him come to know Jesus. And so, we can choose to make ordinary circumstances an opportunity for God to work supernaturally in our lives. Another area where we see making a choice is in Hebrews 11.8. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. We read about Abraham. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. He dwelt, or by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So how many times does God ask us to do something and doesn't give us the whole plan. I would say in my life, it's almost 100% of the time. It's never that he goes, okay, Josh, step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. Step four, do this. And by step 25, you're going to be right where you want to be. All he gives me is the first step. And so just like Abraham, I have to choose to take a step that I ending in what I don't know is going to happen. I have to say, okay, Lord, I'll say yes to you and take that step, and I'll obey. Now, I could choose to pray longer, to wait longer, to say, Lord, I need two or three steps. I could wait and say, Lord, I need three or four. I'm kind of a future thinker. I need a little bit more. But you know what I think we would do in that case and what has happened in my life? Is sometimes I've waited too long looking for more guidance when all God was going to give me is just that one step. And so I can choose. I remember hearing uh, Jason's testimony the other night of how he came to redeemed and it sounded about like that he didn't get like 14 steps ahead he just got the next step and he said okay lord then he got another step but what happens if we choose to say i need to be wise and cautious about this 
I need to be careful and calculating about this. I'll be honest, I'm that way sometimes with the Lord. I figure that that's, I, it's wise for me to try to figure it all out before I do it. Now, the Bible does say that a wise man counts the cost before he builds a city. I'm not saying go off half-cocked, but obedience is never half-cocked. Obeying Jesus is never the wrong thing to do. And so, I love that he was called to go to a place where he would receive an inheritance. What would have happened if he hadn't gone? I think a clear reading of this scripture would say he wouldn't have gotten the inheritance. I don't think I'm stretching it to say that. If he had just stayed where he was and kept doing what he had been doing and thinking what he'd been thinking and be safe and wise and all seated and everything right in his house, but instead he went out and lived in tents. He even said he had to live by faith. I mean, he didn't even know what he was doing there. He knows this is the land of promise, but he's living in the land of promise as a foreigner. It wasn't like they were there, Oh, oh you're here! Yay! No. He lived there as a foreigner. By faith. But he just kept taking step by step by step. I'm talking about us getting that better portion. The part that will never be taken away from us. I don't want to live my life and realize that I missed opportunities like this. My inheritance, your inheritance in Jesus because we waited and didn't obey. Again, Leonard Ravenhill says, the opportunity of a lifetime needs to be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. In other words, God, there is a window in time that we can obey God about a certain thing. And then, many times, that window closes. And we will never have the... Now, God, God is rich in mercy. Oftentimes, He comes back around and gives us an opportunity again. But we don't know that that's going to happen. We don't know that we're going to be able to obey Him right now the way we will be able to in two years. I want the Lord... I want to have... I want each one of us to experience that inheritance that He has prepared for us. And it comes in little momentary moments Momentary moments. That didn't exactly go right. I know the English teacher back there is probably going, what? That didn't go right. See, he's pursing his lips like you didn't say that right, brother. Those moments of obedience that nobody sees. It's not the big moments. It's the little times at home in quiet when nobody knows what Jesus has asked you to do but you. You're not going to get any credit for it. 
You're not going to get any glory for it. There's not going to be anybody patting you on the back for it. But because you did that, you got one step closer to the promised land that He has for you. One step closer to what He has for you. And let me just give you a clue that He has amazing things in store for His people. I want to speak especially to the children. Because I think sometimes we as parents forget that the people sitting here who's, who have the most opportunity to serve Jesus are not the adults. They're your children. Do you know that Jesus has plans for you children? That if you knew the plans that He had for you, the Bible says they are more amazing than anything you can ask or think or imagine. My kids have pretty amazing imaginations. And so for God to say, my imagination isn't as good, so that promise probably isn't going to be as great for me. But my kids have amazing imaginations. The kind of things that Abraham and Nathaniel and Abel and Stephen want to do, Simeon wants to do, the sky's the limit. And what I'm here to say this morning is that God wants more for our children than we could even imagine. But the most important thing, children, that you can do to see that happen one day is to take those steps of obedience every day. And you know what those steps of obedience look like? Who does God want you to obey every day? Who? Your parents. God is going to work through your parents' children. And if you'll be faithful to honor them and obey them, God will command a blessing on your life that will follow you for the rest of your life. In this day, obedience and honor to parents in movies and TV shows, in books, it's just like, it's like the last thing that you want to do. But I'll tell you what, children, if you can just do that one thing, Obey and honor your parents. God will bless you in a mighty way. I had other examples I wanted to give, and I'll, whenever we post the, the sermon, I'll put the notes up. But our life is full of choices. Our life is full of choices, and I want to I do one more. Ephesians 1. I was listening through Ephesians this week. And in, 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 in the heart of giving this message, this hit me like a ton of bricks. Ephesians 1, verse number 11. In Him, speaking of the Ephesians, He's speaking to the Ephesians, Paul. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him 
who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who, were, who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, and that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saint and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand of God at, the, at His right hand in heavenly places far above all principalities and, and powers and might and dominion and that in every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he, he put all things under His feet and gave them to be head over all things of the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. That's a pretty well a summation of what I want my life to be. I would love that to be said of me. At the end of my life, I would love for this to be said of me. That I was able, that I was, that I was able to comprehend with all the saints. That, that, that Paul was, was see, never ceasing to give thanks for me in my, in his prayers. And what a, what my life had been a glory to Christ. That I had, I, that I had obtained my inheritance. Boy, that's a pretty good commendation. But you know what the sad thing is? Like I shared with you last time, one of the things the Lord's had me doing is, is pretending like I don't know anything at all about what the Bible says about church and reading through the different sections of Scripture that talk about what God expects of us as His church. And in that I've read in the book of Revelation and I'm sad to say that I found myself in many, many, many of the condemnations that He gives to His church in these places. I realized that, yep, that's me. I can, I've been lukewarm. I've been this. And then when I was reading about this is, this is the same church. Okay, so this, what I just read is 40 years earlier. This is fast forwarding 40 years. John now writing what the Lord has, what Jesus said to that church. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those that are evil, and that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Sounds a lot like Martha. Martha. 
It sounds a lot like somebody who's busy doing a lot of things. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you were, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. The best I understand, the lampstand was actually the church there at Ephesus. And he said, if you don't repent, I'm going to wipe you out as a church altogether. He went from talking about the power and their experience of the glory of God and their inheritance in the Spirit to now they've left their first love. I don't know about you, but that scares the living daylights out of me. It's really easy for people to say nice things about you. You know, I'm really thankful that I have a wife that reminds me. I was reminded this week, or the last couple weeks, when people say good things about you, my wife will often quote the verse, beware when all men speak well of you. You know, I don't want people to say, man, Josh just lives that Ephesians life, man! But then have Jesus' commentary of my life, but he's left his first love. I don't care what you guys think. I care what Jesus thinks. I don't want the testimony of my life to be good among you and found lacking when I meet him. This, in Philippians 3, this has kind of been the focusing verse for my life in the last few weeks especially. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in Him not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith, which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God or from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering and, and being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. For me... This is that better portion. You know, as a dad, oftentimes I try to boil down what's important in life to one thing for my children. I try to show them, okay, this is the one thing. And yet when I do it, so many times it ends up being two or three things. Well, you want to live for Jesus, and you want to do this, and you want to do that. And I wait... I, but as the Lord has shown me this Scripture in a new way, I realize that the only thing that matters is knowing Jesus. 
If my children know Jesus, they'll live for Him. If Betty and I know Jesus, we'll have a godly marriage. If we know Jesus as a church, we'll have a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. If we know Jesus, we'll walk in humility instead of pride. If we know Jesus, we will, we, will, we will be able to discern the evil from the good. If we know Jesus, there will be nothing that's written in this book that's not open for us to experience and to live. And so you can take the 99.9. I want that 1% that won't be taken away from me. I want to know Jesus. And the Lord has been asking me is there anything I wouldn't do or wouldn't give up to know Him that way? And slowly but surely He's burning out the dross in my life where that answer can be yes. Yes, Jesus, anything. As long as I can know You. Because you know what? That is the one thing. That was what Mary knew when she was sitting there at Jesus' feet. She wanted to know Jesus. She was was captivated by His every word. It wasn't that she was some kind of lazy sister. It was that when you turn your eye, like the old song says, when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That's what we want. That's what I want for me and my family is to know Jesus and to be willing to count everything else as rubbish that I could know Him. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank You, Lord God. More than anything else, I pray, Lord, that You would make this a reality in my life in every single area. All the hidden parts of my life, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that You would help me count everything as rubbish that I would know You. Lord, I pray that each one of my children would know You. That my wife would know You. Lord, I pray that each one of my friends here would know You. And that that knowing You would burn up everything worthless in their lives and in my life. Lord, that's all that matters is knowing You. In Jesus' name, Amen.